Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. My name is Amato, and with me are... Tori. And Dom Olson, Jimmy's cousin. I, I don't take pictures. I, I have a blog, though, if you want to see. Uh, these days, probably Jimmy Olsen <laughs> would just have a blog, right? Right. There'd be a new media consultant that they pulled on. <laughs> yeah. And that there wouldn't be a newspaper to be hired to. It would be like a webzine. A webzine. Yeah. I remember it, thing. Uh, whatever that means. That should be a thing. <laughs> well, it's like a web magazine is a webzine, right? Sure. I don't know. In Ultimate Spider-Man, instead of being a photographer, it is that Jameson hires Peter to run the website because he's a young person who knows computers and they don't have like a proper web person. That sounds like a 2000s thing. Yeah, That was a yeah. 2000s thing, yeah. <laughs> there really was a market for like people who knew how to use computers or different programs on computers. And now mm-hmm. everything is just... I don't know, user accessible and everybody uses computers. Well, so. now everybody has to know it at some point, even though they'll... Yeah. People. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, by the way, I just want to apologize tonight for coming in late, looking exhausted and disheveled. Mm-hmm. I just had some, like, other business I needed to take care of before I came here. Mm-hmm. Well... Nothing important. I don't know if I trust you, but those glasses you're wearing sure are very interesting, so... Uh, yeah, they're new glasses, actually. Cool. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, just got them today. Wow, you look like a totally different person. <laughs> <laughs> My vision actually seems worse wearing these ones. I'm hoping it's an eye adjustment mm. thing. Have, have Has that ever happened to you with, like, new contacts or anything? That it seems worse at first? Like, maybe you're still straining too much or something? Maybe. All my other glass experiences from back when I used to buy new glasses was that I put them on and then everything seemed super weirdly sharp. And so huh. I, maybe something's just wrong with these. I don't know. Oh, I hope not. They look they look very nice mm. and hide your identity very well. <laughs> I don't know. I've never had glasses, but I don't think that's because I don't need them, but that's because I don't have health care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of experience in the glasses area. I've heard a lot of people talk about it, though, and I feel like usually if you get a new prescription, it should be helping your eyes. But I can imagine yeah. that if your eyes are adjusted to your old prescription, maybe they need time to readjust. Apparently such a thing happens, but it's never happened to me before, so... Hmm. Oh, well. We have more serious business to talk about right now. <laughs> like... Somebody else that wears glasses. <laughs> yeah, but doesn't need them, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Vanity glasses. Yeah. <laughs> There's not even lenses in them. <laughs> no one's no- noticed. Yeah, but... no one notices that they're just empty frames. <laughs> <laughs> I've been rewatching some of the Steven Universe. I just got... Well, at first of the part, and then past the part where Stephen heals Connie's vision, and the first thing Connie does is pop the lenses out and just keeps wearing the glasses. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't bring it up till sometime later next season, where like Connie's talking to their mom. It's like you haven't noticed what's been going on with me. Have you noticed there's been no glass in these glasses for like a year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually pretty noticeable. <laughs> but probably everyone in Superman Land is just extremely unobservant. You know. I've always wondered, though, if, like, at the time, were, like, non-prescription glasses. Like, now you can get fake glasses, and they're just for fun. I mean, they're real glasses, but they're not. Right. Okay. Non-medical. <laughs> yeah, you get fashion glasses now. That wasn't really a thing. They're when... recreational, not prescription. <laughs> yeah. So is Superman's vision just such that he can see through any lens and just see fine? 
like with the prescription on the glasses just not matter? I mean, if you can see through a wall, then yeah, you can yeah, see through right? a glass. Yeah, right? Totally. <laughs> I would assume. So he's kind not of that always using his x-ray uh, vision to see through his Superman lenses. doesn't wear glasses. <laughs> Why are we talking so much about Superman, Amato? Well, we have a Lois and Clark fanfic. That is the 1990s live-action show, Lois and Clark. Heck yeah. The Continuing Adventures of Superman? It, was that the subtitle? Was that the subtitle? I think so. Or The New Adventures of Superman. New I'm, Continuing I think <laughs> it's The New Adventures of Superman. Uh, could be. Lois and Clark, The New Adventures. The New Adventures of Superman. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Go my memory. I used to watch this show I think I used to watch folks. this also yeah. with my mom, but like I tried to talk with my mom about it, and they seemed confused. Yeah. <laughs> well, old people. Yeah. I've definitely Sorry. seen... Sorry, Tom's mom. He <laughs> didn't mean that. I've definitely seen episodes of Lois and Clark. My vague impression is... Fine Clark, good Lois, poor special effects. Yeah. Um, aired from 1993 to 1997. Yes, and this fanfic is from 1995. Now, to get us off about, uh, to get us off to a start about why this is very exciting, we're doing a Lois and Clark fanfic mm-hmm. because I was so impressed with a database. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, the that's, website. Yeah, that's the nerdiest thing I've heard since a podcast about old fan fiction. Well, I mean, <laughs> this website, Lois and Clark Fanfic Archive, which is also a really boring name for a fanfic site, sorry. <laughs> they maintain an incredibly excellent, you know, database of all the fanfics in the archive that is extremely searchable, and they have it in multiple formats, and it's just the user-friendliest thing I've ever seen. And I think I mentioned this last week, but it made it so easy for me to find something short and award-winning, and like uh, that were that's pretty much my criteria. But speaking of award winnings, this won a Kurth Award, which, if you remember, the fanfic is the name of a fictitious, you know, journalism award in the universe of Lois and Clark. Oh. So it's the name for the awards for the fanfics, and it won. This is a 1995 fanfic. It won a 1998 Kurth Award. Can you guess why? Hmm. No. No, it was the first year of the Kurth Awards. Oh. Hmm. Which means that for that one year, they went back and just did everything that the fan community had produced and judged all of that. So I thought going into this, oh, these must be like the real good stuff, right? I don't think that's how you should do a retroactive award system. You should have awards for each new year and then like, Honorable mentions to past years or something. I think that's how the um, the Robin of Sherwood fandom did it when when fanfics got kind of thin and they missed some years. Mm-hmm. When they went back to it, I think they started like awarding some as a bonus thing retroactively. Mm-hmm. But that's how the Lois and Clark fandom did it uh, this time. Mm-hmm. And this one best dramatic story. Other categories included best comedy, best tearjerker. Best fanboy story? I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, what, what would that mean? It sounds like a story that's only to make fans happy about fan stuff that fans care about. Maybe. Yeah, fans. I, <laughs> I'm wondering if, well, usually when you say, like, fanboy or fangirl, a lot of times that involves, like, a character that you think is attractive. Am I right about that? I think uh, it's just, not in this context. I think it's just okay. something you're overly excited about. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was just trying to make sense of it. There was also best alt story. That would be like alternate universe. Best revelation, Lois, which I guess is a category of stories about people finding out that Clark is Superman. 
Best Revelation Others, so people other than Lois finding out that Clark is Superman. Best Wedding Story. Best Pregnancy slash Delivery Story. No. Mm. Best Next Gen Story, so and presumably children. And Best Sound Design. <laughs> best Alternate Beginnings. Best Rewrite. Best Early Years Story. Best Series. Best Series Continuation. Best Fifth Season Update. It's just interesting seeing this and seeing the categories of fan fiction that a given fandom <laughs> was writing. So, like, Revelation was a genre, right? Yeah. Pregnancy yeah. delivery was a genre in yeah. these years. Well, and it totally makes sense because this is all about the romantic. Lois and Clark is all about the romantic relationship between the two. Right. So, so things, that's what people wanted to see in the fandom, I guess. The question mm-hmm. I have is, did they have a variety of fan fictions to fill each category? Or did they have one fanfic that, like, Lord of the Rings each year and just won every category? Well, in this 1998 yeah. one, there's five. There's, like, a winner and four nominees in each category. Hmm. Uh, three or four nominees. Let's jump ahead to, say, 2008, ten years later. Um, if anything, it looks like more fanfics nominated. So, oh, it, But, like, are they different fanfics for each category? Or does the same fanfic oh, get nominated for, this, for, like, five see categories? what you were saying. Yeah. Honeymoon in <laughs> Vegas. It looks like because a lot of them are genres, there's not much overlap. There's a best overall story category, and that's all things from the other categories, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. But no, it seems fairly demarcated. Yeah, see, that's my point of curiosity is like, how big was this fandom? I don't know the size. I mean, I don't know anything about it except that they're incredibly well organized. And that the Kurth Awards mm-hmm. continued up to 2016. Mm-hmm. No, wait. Never mind. That's just the ones archived on this part of the site. They are, they're still going. So, um, I find that a little bit surprising. I think well, I'm going to write a fan fiction, then win one of these awards, and then do a little indie fan fiction afterwards. There you go. <laughs> Hit it big, you know, playing to the popular thing, which is Lois and Clark. Yeah, then do my passion projects. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, though... Um, is Lewis and Clark the only live-action Superman TV show? Oh, no, Smallville. Smallville and um, Krypton is a new one. Krypton? I've never... Is that That's new? N- new-ish. Okay. I've I mean, I never say, heard of that one. I think of things as new, and it turns out they've been like out for five years or something. <laughs> five years is new. Yeah. As far as I know. But not in, in a, the fast-moving world of digital media. Yeah, I guess. Well, anyway, my point being is that it's also predated by The Adventures of Superman, which is from the 50s. Oh. Oh, yeah, of course. And if that fandom is still producing a lot of fanfics, then I will be very impressed. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I was just trying to discover, like, what the big appeal is. I mean, I mean the romance between Lois and Clark is, like, not something you would think would be, like, a huge cultural draw because it's not, like, a great romance, per se. It's, like, Superman and Lois, th- there's some mystery and intrigue in that relationship, and it's an interesting story, but it's not, like, I don't know, to me, if an epic romance because the story of Superman is more about him being Superman. By the way, Krypton started in March 2018, apparently ended August 2019. Hmm. I can't believe I've never even heard of that. It was on Sci-Fi. Okay, well, we'll do some fanfics from that in about 15 to 20 years, okay? Yeah, <laughs> totally. We'll still be doing this podcast when we're 50. Look, we need to get through all the retro fanfiction. <laughs> all of it. But like with our definition of fanfiction, that could be like a majority of the world's li- literature before this. I mean, Oof. we'll keep busy. Burn. <laughs> 
Well, speaking of that, we should probably get started in discussing Love Beyond All Measure. Once again, it is like 20,000 words, it's not that long, and it won Best Dramatic Story for that like whole category of years. Hmm. My main regret in doing this is that apparently the sequel to this fanfic has some good lex. And this fanfic has zero lex. No lex. No lex. When you're Which is the a, worst kind of lex. When you're reading a Superman fanfiction, how much lex would you like, usually? Um, I would like one-fourth lex. Hmm. I'd be okay with no Lex, I think. Lex isn't the interesting part about Superman, but also I don't think there's an interesting part about Superman. Mm. I also like really don't <laughs> like Lex Luthor in Lois and Clark, as far as I recall. Oh, I don't remember him in Lois and Clark, really. I like Lex Luthor first season, season of Smallville. Yeah, I was going to say that I yeah. like what they did with Smallville and Lex Luthor in Smallville, and he's actually kind of like a, a cool guy. An interesting then, character, yeah, at least. An interesting character, yeah. He had interesting motivation. Good actor. Yeah. He's not someone who was very upset about losing his hair. Yeah, that's kind of what it seems like Lewis and Clark's Lex Luthor was like, but anyway. I mean, you can get a wig or plugs or just be a bald man. People are okay with bald men. Yeah, I mean, and the hair he had to start with, like... I remember it being kind of like a curly, unruly mop. <laughs> it's like, it, and this is not a criticism of his him aesthetically. It's just like he didn't seem to do much with his hair. So like, <laughs> why did it matter? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he, he um, wasn't paying attention to it. Why did it matter? That I don't know. I, I mean, I'd be pretty mad if I lost my hair, but yeah. I spend tons of hours dying and cutting I, it. I love and the idea cool stuff with it. of a Lex that is like very into their hair care wears different styles every day mm-hmm. and like different anime hairstyles and <laughs> yeah yeah and then lo- loses it and then becomes very sad because then then they have to close their Instagram account that's just about their hairstyles. That makes way more sense to me. Yes. So when are you starting this fanfic? <laughs> uh, which category is, is this for again? <laughs> Best tearjerker. Best tearjerker. Okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, Dom, um, I, we've talked enough about stuff. We won't go deep into our Superman experience, but it sounds like you're not a big fan of Superman as a concept. Batman's better. I'm not. Just saying. (laughs) I like Superman okay, but I'm actually not specifically a fan either. Tori? Oh, I have a radically different opinion. When... (laughs) Superman was first written as a comic, Mm -hmm. if we really want to dig this deep... Oh, like it, the People's Hero Superman? Yeah, he yeah. was oh, written yeah. by two Jewish guys, you know, in the 50s, kind of in this as this rebellious figure who condoned property destruction and wrecked mm-hmm. a bunch of cars. And yeah, he was definitely, like, as you said, Amato, a People's Hero. He was more of a populist. And the Superman nowadays, not so much that figure. But Golden Age Comics Superman, I loved that story. And I think it started off and kicked off a whole era of comics really like superman was huge and his influence is huge it's just kind of what he's turned into as the symbol of america America, yeah yeah. because he was anti-status quo to begin with and he was i loved his and he couldn't fly he could just jump really high and they've given him more and more powers and it's just become kind of a bloated concept it's like, weird because Superman's like, just exploding, you know. It was created as, as, originally as like a Judeo-Christian like super person, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then eventually it evolved into like the Judeo-Christian God character, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So most of my problems with like the concept of Judeo-Christian gods, my same issues with Superman as a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's either they're all powerful and they can do anything, and that's boring, 
or they're just a person. They can do some things, and that's also boring. <laughs> I we don't like reading about people here. No. <laughs> I do think that there have been many amazing Superman stories, but it's just kind of regrettable that what started out as a pretty interesting character, like an alien raised on Earth by two like nice, loving parents mm-hmm. who was a hero for the people turned into something that was just like sort of like Captain America mixed with God thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in the fanfic, <laughs> here's how it starts off. Clark's visiting his family back in Smallville. He's on vacation. It's like not even a holiday vacation. It's just like he's taking a week off because, you know, I guess you can do that sometimes as a adult person. I wouldn't know because I can take a day off anytime I want. I just don't get paid. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's hanging out with his parents and his parents are cool. They're kind of a little bit boring also in this fanfic. I feel like that's from the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't remember seeing his parents in the show. Like I remember in Smallville, they did more with his folks because he lived with his folks. Right. But... I watched like the first five minutes of a episode of Lois and Clark, which included the intro, and the intro includes um, both the of the parents in bed on the phone, presumably uh, talking to Clark. Okay. So Clark would call them on the phone and talk to them about the moral issues. Fair the main enough. thing is they're supportive parents, yeah. which is sweet. But yeah, they seem a little one dimensional. Well, I have a couple problems with this kind of opening. And one is that it actually kind of starts off with a whole lot of narration. And it's kind of a lot of telling. It's like, it tells us about, you know, what Clark's doing. He's on vacation. He's been doing this. It's okay. It just kind of goes on for a really long time. Uh, He's like, oh, this is how he feels about Lois. This is where the relationship is at. This is what he's thinking about it. This is what Lois has been doing. And here's where I start to really have a problem. It's like... Clark thinking about the interesting things Lois has been doing <laughs> lately. That's how they lead into the plot of this fanfic. Mm. Like, here, here's how they lead into it. She'd been very busy while he was away. Following up on a tip from one of her myriad sources, she had managed to come across and expose a scandal involving one of Metropolis's major brokerage houses. The articles she had written had revealed the whole sordid mess. Several top executives and a few minor ones had been arrested. And so on and so on. Lois, da-da-da, defrauding, do-do-dude, he was reading the articles about it. It just kind of, right, The, the talks about the CEO, Clement Whitehurst, who was, like, skipped out on the law because he was exposed in, like, all of his scandals. And it's like, I'd kind of have liked to see Lois doing some of these things if it's going to be relevant to the plot, which it is. That should have been the story, right? It starts off with this, then Clark right. goes on vacation, then yes. the action happens. And I'd- then the climax. Totally forgot that the character of Whitehurst was even mentioned at the beginning here uh-huh. because yeah, it blows by. Yeah, I I kind of was like into the opening to start with, like mm-hmm. oh yeah, a good reminder of where we're at in Lewis and Clark, and like but you're right I, when it goes yeah. into that, it's like right that that part's Whoa. okay. It's setting us up. Yeah, but then then uh, this just it's like a yeah, it's just like dumping exposition from Clark's thoughts, which is especially bizarre because Whitehurst becomes relevant, mm-hmm. but Clark has no reason to think that he's relevant at all. The so. way they talked about this, I had kind of assumed this was something that, that was happening in the show that they didn't go over because people would already know about it if they're following the show. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case. Yeah, it's weirder <laughs> that it's just a, a fanfic internal thing than why wasn't it a story? Right. And, you know, seeing it... 
like at least seeing that exposition dump in Lois's head would at least have been slightly better. Yeah, like it, it's almost as if they were just like a, a part of the story the author didn't want to write. Yeah, and so they tried they to sum to get it up the, really quick. Yeah, to get to the action. That's exactly how it feels. And the funny part is that the action is, it's not gotten to super quickly, but... It's like over half the fanfic or something before yeah. something happens, right? Right. And it, here's what's taking up a lot of that other first half of the fanfic. And it, it felt very strange going into this, because just a few weeks ago we did Just a Face on a Train, in which a large part of it is Peter angsting over the fact that he cannot save everybody, and, you know, maybe he could have if he'd done better, but he didn't, and some people died. And Clark has that same character beat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his parents are the ones helping him through it. But it's less interesting in this one than in Just a Face on a Train. Because he doesn't even work through it. He's, like, he thinks about it, then he gets some comfort, but that's still obviously not enough because Clark's still unhappy with what happened. And then the stuff, then the action happens, then we forget about that beat altogether. That's right. And I think there's another few things to say comparing those two. You know, if people listen to Just a Face on a Train, which you should, because you should listen to every episode, whether or not you know anything about the source material. <laughs> That's what we recommend on this podcast. Yes, our, our imaginary advertisers would, would love that. <laughs> also, leave comments and reviews. Mm. Uh, anyway, comparing those two, in that fanfic, the beat of feeling guilty over not being able to save someone is the defining Spider-Man character beat. Mm. So that's good. I mean, it's it's like very personal to the character of Peter Parker. But then also, we didn't experience that beat from Peter Parker's perspective. We experienced it from the perspective of somebody whose life he did save, and that was the interesting thing about the angle. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, it's it's from Clark's perspective. It's not really a Superman-specific beat. It's kind of a generic superhero beat. It's not even that bad of a thing. Like, there's a fire where no one can get to these people to save them, and he saves all but maybe two. I mean... Out of, out of like eight or something. He's or operating on Superman levels of competence here, sure. <laughs> well, but then there's something following from this, which is his parents, um, I think especially his mom, thinking internally about like how much it always affects him that he can't, just the one person he can't save. Mm -hmm. So I guess it was supposed to be like a character note for him. I mean, it but... is. It's just not done in the most interesting way or way no. that is relevant later on. Yeah, and I think after reading Face on a Train, I expected more from this Mm -hmm. note that right. was there I did a, I did appreciate the attempt to like show the love from the parents and the understanding of Clark but yeah it's a good point that like this is all stuff we have from the source pretty much and there's an element of redundancy I guess mm -hmm. anything else happen while he's kind of hanging out with his family that I stuff mean... happens with Lois <laughs> <laughs> right but yeah I just meant before we move over to Lois uh, from Clark. There's little details like they help have Clark help around the farm, but don't do too much because then people would notice. Right. Which is yeah. a fun Superman convention. Yeah, it's like they have to take all afternoon pulling out a stump. And, you know, th that's cool because it's mostly just a chance for him and his dad to hang out. But it's also the <laughs> Superman problem of, of like, um, morally, how much should they help out? <laughs> right. Because it's like, if this is a stump nobody else knew about and they still took all day to take it out, then isn't Superman being a bit of a jerk <laughs> mm. <laughs> by not just fixing the problem instantly? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> His dad's I mean, getting up there what? in years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I guess the only other thing that's really going on in this scene is, like, how much um, Clark's mom wants him to have a girlfriend. 
Right, but she knows about Lois. She's like, I hope those two work out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's just, it's so wholesome. Yeah, it's really wholesome. It's like, even it's... Clark has a moment where he's like, oh, I really appreciate my parents raising me and they didn't have anyone to turn to for support <laughs> in like raising an alien superpowered baby, but they did a great job. And then, you know, he calls and checks in with Lois and they make a date, which becomes plot relevant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, to, to go out for dinner. But I think that's the kind of plot relevance that happens in Lois and Clark, the show. Sure. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and that's like, are they trying to write, well, well like the concept of Lois and Clark, the show, are they trying to write a romance comedy or a superhero show? Well, the tension with Superman and the Lois and Clark relationship is her not knowing that he's Superman. Yeah, Though she, I think later in the show she does know yeah. that he's Superman. Um, so I don't know what they do then. Well, then they do a lot more external conflicts, as I recall. Like mm-hmm. uh, the red kryptonite, bringing in different types of kryptonite and doing mm-hmm. more superhero things. And then things that like threaten to tear apart their relationship, such as... Actually, one of the episodes I remember is when he gets the red kryptonite and he turns evil and he says mean things to Lois. And it's like a conflict because of their relationship. Anyway, yeah, those are the kind of the the tearing points, which actually kind of makes sense. Like, Lois might love him and he might love her, but she has to consider whether it's worth it to be in a relationship with someone when if people know their relationship, they're going to keep threatening her life. Yeah. And like crazy ass things are going to keep happening. You Which know? is also something they came up with. They talked about on uh, faces on a, on a train. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's a, it's a normal superhero angle, right? Yeah. yeah. But it it's important that I think it's cool that they explore it, honestly. And like the interesting thing about this show as opposed to other Superman media or as they talk about in um, Kill Bill Volume 2, <laughs> mm-hmm. is that in other Superman media, Superman seems like the main personality and Clark's just the disguise. Mm-hmm. The purpose of Lois and Clark was that Clark was the main person and Superman was the disguise for Clark. Yeah, that must have been one of the, kind of the early pushes that direction because that, that pendulum swings back and forth over the years and with different writers about how people portray him. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely like the more interesting way a lot of the time, I think. Yeah, no, that's actually a super good point um, because it was early on that he's like, I'm going to adopt this disguise of a, a weakling who can't do much and yeah. be subservient. And then <laughs> as it turns out, you know, Clark becomes a likable character in and of himself and eventually, like culturally speaking, I think has become the personality of Superman. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just like a nice guy. Right. Yeah. Superman, cool. Superman is a Kansas farm boy. That's like... Yeah. Yeah, that's because who he, Superman is. Because right. he is. Right. Like, that's how he was raised. So, of course he is, you know? Um, so, the order got a little bit mixed up. You know, he has a conversation with Lois, and then he... And they make the date. And then, you know, while going on patrol with Superman at night, he there's that whole fire and such, and he exhausts himself trying to save all of them. The reason that order is relevant is because when he gets home, he's, he's wiped. Mm-hmm. And he kind of has to sleep for, like, a day. He has, yep. he has weird sleep cycles, apparently, when he's really pushing himself physically. I like how they mentioned that when Clark sleeps and it's really exhausted that, that, that they float sometimes when they're sleeping. It's yeah. a cute detail, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, his mom. Like, again, another wholesome thing where, like, his mom and dad are thinking about him. His dad's such a man about it, which is ridiculous. <laughs> he's like, oh, that boy. But his mom is, like, a super empathetic character who's, like, comes in and tidies his room, like, she tries to wake him up 
and knows that he's actually sleeping because she knows that he will, you know, overtire himself and won't awaken if he unless he's ready to wake up. And she'll like tidy his room while he's like floating in his sleep. <laughs> it's, it's really cute. It's really friggin' wholesome. There's also that scene just after he gets back where like his suit is covered with like chemicals and you know tar from this thing that happened and he's yeah. trying to clean it and she wants to help and he's like no stay away because it might hurt you and like he has to clean his own suit with heat vision and such <laughs> yeah and in the kitchen sink too in but, the kitchen yeah. sink right well, clean, <laughs> clean the kitchen sink with heat vision that yeah, right yeah <laughs> heat vision can do everything I like how he first tried to solve it by flying into the sun but that wasn't enough <laughs> and then for some reason swim through the ocean yeah. Just do one lap around the world. <laughs> I guess that's the problem with having a single indestructible suit that was sewn from like the blankets or something mm-hmm. of that yeah. was sent with you as a baby. It's like, what if something happens to it? You gotta clean it. You, you gotta. Yeah. Fix what if it gets it. a stain? Gotta, like, it's it, got a stain forever. Fly into the sun. <laughs> fly into the sun. The stain yeah. will burn, but the clothes won't. <laughs> what if it's a kryptonite stain? Then get it to a kryptonite cleaners. <laughs> they had this argument on Big Bang Theory, I'm sorry to say. Really? <laughs> yes. I'm oh. not sure what I'm more disappointed in. I feel pretty Us shamed. for doing this or Dom for knowing that. Touche. Mm. <laughs> I've watched a lot of terrible, terrible TV. I now unfortunately know that there's a young Sheldon spinoff. I <laughs> saw it. Um, but do you want to know how this happened? I was on vacation in Hawaii and I watched this, like, there were only, like, certain shows you could watch on demand on the TV. And I watched it, and I, like, only when I'd watched, like, four episodes that I finally realized that it was, like, based <laughs> on the Big Bang Theory. And I was like, no. You watched it? It was actually not bad. Uh. Like, Big Bang Theory is, in my opinion, very not uh, I don't want to say it's bad, because then if anybody likes Big Bang Theory, they're going to be mad at me. But it's no, really you, you, actually fucking terrible. You can anyway, say it's bad. It's, it's the, like, the it's Sheldon terrible. show was actually all right. Yeah. It, it was like kind of cute. You can say Big Bang Theory is bad, because their comedy is based on look what those stupid smart people do, not on anything actual. Yeah. And they're terribly misogynistic through the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've only seen like two episodes, but that was enough to know that it was very bad. But yeah. anyway... All right, so then in the fanfic, the plot kicks in, not quite halfway through, but pretty close. And the plot is this guy, Clement Whitehurst, who was, you know, in charge of this big, like, company scandal that Lois covered and is probably going to get an award for and all that kind of thing. Chekhov's Whitehurst. Chekhov, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not even, like, at the end of the story, though. But yeah, he was mentioned before. Um, he kind of kidnaps her in her apartment and you know with threats of violence he's got a gun and he's really really one note in this fanfic can i just say though you know before we dive into that this transition like from clark spending all the time on the farm we mentioned that's like half the fanfic where he's on the farm and the fire and the emotions and all that all of a sudden we're with Lois Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden she's being kidnapped and held prisoner in her own apartment. The tone changes drastically and it was kind of shocking. Like I remember going back and like reading it multiple times. because I feel like I kind of missed the transition. (laughs) I was like, wait, what's happening? There's a gun, there's ropes. What, what? So it was, I don't know. It was intense. That transition is interestingly done because the way we transition into it is, uh, What's his name? J. Jonah Perry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Perry getting a phone call from Lois saying like, uh, yeah, I'm sick and you, you know, know what I that seafood always does to me. I I always get sick with seafood, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. And Perry's like, uh, yep, sure. So take care of yourself and I'll talk to you later. And he's like, Lois doesn't get sick with seafood. Yeah. So, you know, he knows something is weird immediately. Yeah. And, and in the call, he says, I'll send, um, on your, your assignment, I'll send the, I'll send re- the reporter, was it Harrison or something? Yeah. Henderson, Henderson. along with Johnson. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll send the reporter Henderson <laughs> along with Johnson. And Henderson is apparently a police person they both know. Right. Not a reporter. Right. And so they've communicated to each other that something's wrong. But we as the, the reader don't even know what's wrong. And then it switches yeah. over to Lois and she's, you know. And it's just confusing, though, because not knowing confusing. what's wrong and knowing they're like, we know the code signals. And it's like the code signals for what, you know? And I didn't know Henderson was a police guy until he appears later as a police well, guy. Well, I think that's because we don't really uh, watch Lois and Clark. That they might be true. They yeah. mention it right after that conversation. I think. Oh, they do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I just felt like, yeah, it was just kind of hard for me to catch. And I don't know if that was just me. But anyway, moving on. Well, that's what it moves into is that this guy is a cackling supervillain type where he's like, I'm going to destroy you for destroying all that I have built. And he's got a gun and a chunk of kryptonite and a plan. It's a chunk of kryptonite the size of a small child's fist. (laughs) I mean, I I don't have a sense of what kryptonite, what amounts of kryptonite do what. But like that's a lot of kryptonite. But like the, okay. the, the idea is like any amount of kryptonite is too much, right? <laughs> you can just have like a little kryptonite dust, and it's a big problem. And like in a, <laughs> I was going to say in a real story, but like in a more expanded story, shouldn't where that kryptonite come from? How they acquired it be something at least? You would think so because it's yeah. always, I mean, it's not always, but like it's often a thing of like where do you get the kryptonite? In like a Superman story, right? Like kryptonite is like. Well, it's kryptonite. I can't even think of a metaphor because it is the me- metaphor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the ultimate uh, plot item. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it should have more weight, more importance. Right. And it was the size of a 10-year-old's fist, which oh, is pretty freaking yeah. big. Yeah. Like, Especially if you're talking like gemstones or something. That's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, they have to get it from the planet Krypton. Like, right? So It's surprising how many uh, you know, rocks from Krypton hit planet earth <laughs> yeah i guess they mine it but again how does rando get this kryptonite well he's a very rich rando i don't i don't have a problem with that as a premise i guess because he's like a super wealthy type but it should be harder to get than that no well, but he was ruined though like the whole reason he wants to seek revenge is because his fortune is gone it's but like he's got he has something stashed away that's part uh, of his plans okay. like he's gonna like make a like is the idea that his go bag is like a bunch of f- fake IDs, some stack of bills, and a chunk of kryptonite? Mm. You know, not unreasonable in a world where <laughs> Superman goes after every criminal, and you know you are a criminal. Oh, and, and you're in Superman City, right? Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, maybe he acquired it a long time ago. That actually would have been a cool character beat if they'd said that, but they don't. So yeah, they could have explained it in that many. Because they also said this person is intelligent, and if Batman can have some kryptonite. I guess other smart people could too. Right. Why doesn't Lex Luthor just wear like a hat made out of kryptonite? I like how hat is where you went to. <laughs> I know, because of the no hair thing. Well, initially it was suit, but hat would be better, I think, for the person who has the conflict over being bald. <laughs> in, in, in general, maybe like easier to wear than an entire suit of kryptonite. And less kryptonite, too. Yeah. <laughs> so basically his plan is he's taking Lois Lane hostage. What happens then? Superman shows up. Mm-hmm. He's going to kill Superman because Lois Lane loves Superman and just to make her suffer. And then not, he's going to kill her. And not because killing Superman would benefit any and all criminals in the area. 
forever. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to try to make your getaway, it seems like taking out Superman is not a bad idea either. But if that's, that's, not even, that's not even the reason. Just killing the Superman to be is, mean. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because he wants to take away something that Lois loves, and he thinks she loves Superman, which I guess she does, but she's also in a relationship with Clark, which he also knows he wants to take him out, too. But I guess Clark's on vacation, so he can't. But again, if you are planning on killing Lois Lane, you should plan on killing Superman first. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, too. Yeah. yeah, but he mainly wants her to take away things that she loved and then kill her, I guess. Yeah, here's what he says. You're missing my point, L- Miss Lane. You are responsible for what happened to me. You took away everything that I had, everything that I held dear, everything that I'd worked for. Killing Superman is my way of taking everything that you hold dear away from you. Or should I say almost everything? I understand that you are almost as fond of your writing partner, Mr. Kent, as you are of Superman. But since he's away now, on vacation, I hear, I've decided to cut my losses. Although I don't know why I mentioned both in the same breath. They look nothing alike. (laughs) Superman does not wear wear glasses. (laughs) Wear sunglasses. (laughs) Wear sunglasses. I have a couple of other people that I also need to repay, and then I'll be clean away, spending the money that I have salted away. Do you salt things away? Is I don't that think a thing? So. No. no. But with most but, English, I think you can just say something with enough conviction and <laughs> You know, yeah, he actually does have enough money left over. Right. So she, she didn't, didn't really take she took his reputation, I right. guess. He's like, My reputation is worth killing everyone. Well, he also says, My beautiful oh yeah, position, beautiful home, priceless collections. He's yeah. he's got a one note. He should have yeah. gone to Canada or Mexico or Anywhere but, but Metropolis. Because, like, nobody yeah. knew where this person was. They were in the clear. They were free. <laughs> I know. He's just, like, this, like, businessman who d- embezzled some money had, or something, he has right? An, like, like, undisclosed amount of money, which could be anything. He also has a trunk of uh, kryptonite, which he can sell to oh, yeah. Luther at any moment for a yeah, serious amount of money. <laughs> You're right. If that's all you had, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I guess he's just really revenge. Like, if you're paranoid, you can, like, chip off a piece of kryptonite, keep it in your pocket, and sell the rest, and Mm -hmm. just live in, you know, someplace sunny for the rest of your life. Yeah, but he's a madman. Clark even mentions earlier on, he's like, yeah, I looked for this guy, but couldn't turn him up. Just don't know where to look. Yeah, when he went to to ground. He's probably not here, because that would be the dumb thing to to do. (laughs) (laughs) So this is what he's doing. And a, a decent part of the next part of the story is this tension where... He's there, and he's you know taunting Lois, tormenting Lois, whatever. He's waiting for Superman to show up, because, like, and Superman is unconscious. This is weird because it's going on for hours, like off, I want to say off screen, but, yeah, mm-hmm. like not in direct action. And it's just like hours of torture that's happening. I mean, yeah, him getting progressively more frustrated, occasional like you know verbal abuse or like physical mild abuse, and everybody's just sort of. Con- progressively more stressed out and disturbed that Superman is not showing up. Because <laughs> when Lois is directly threatened, usually it doesn't take that long. And that's, like, where you think the story is going, too. Right. Like that Superman might not show up at all? No, that Superman's going to show up at some point. Then all this drama's going to pop off. Right. But he doesn't, in the end... I mean, is there anything we want to say about that, like, ten- tension part in the middle? The uh, Lois being held by the criminal part? Yeah. Uh, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of sucked to experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's stressful. I mean, it heightens the tension. It's just basically like she's being abused and not allowed to go to the bathroom and not allowed to eat. And just a lot of awful stuff happens to her. And uh, in the meantime, like um, Perry is aware of this and Henderson and his police guys have managed to set up and, like, watch from a distance, I guess. But they're yeah, being very careful. Yeah, the police are yeah. tipped off and they're 
um, approaching as cautiously as I guess they should. Well, they have an observation base and they have plainclothes officers on the street and like making sure that nobody's alerted to what's going on. Mm -hmm. But because of that, it still moves really slow. And it's weird how most of the tension in in this is very, um, like, distressingly realistic terror. Yeah. As opposed to, like, superhero terror. You're right. Yeah. Even later on, it's all very kind of measured and, like, is this person who I can't control or necessarily predict the actions of going to, like, do something violent and irreversible, which is just too real, yes. It's like, it's not someone with a death ray, it's a... A man who has a woman tied to a chair and like abusing and yelling at her. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's very much like you know from an early point that he has kryptonite. So Superman will be ineffective. So it really, it doesn't ever become much of a superhero story. The kryptonite kind of neutralizes Superman as a character to the point that, you know, when, well, we'll get to when. Let's talk about what happens. Let's just talk about what happens. Okay, so Clark comes back early on vacation. He walks into the office and he's like, "Hey, everyone, what's up?" I I was expecting Superman to fly to Lois's apartment first. Right, he doesn't. No, he goes into work first. (laughs) He's like, "I have brownies from home. They're for Mm -hmm. Lois." And Mm -hmm. everyone's like, "Yeah, about about Lois." Um, And not like the whole office knows what's going on, but like just the boss. Yeah, just the boss. He ends up talking with Perry, and Perry tells him what's going on. And you know, Clark runs out to. Um, you know, to the scene, like he he can't be talked out of it, right? But yeah. he but he goes and he checks in with Henderson and like the police officers that are there, and they have the room tapped. Also, some how are they listening in on the? Um, they've done phone calls, but yeah, the, they have some method for surveillance. They just have surveillance equipment. They have set surveillance up. equipment. I'm imagining one of those like guns with the clear plastic cup on the side. That's like. You can hear sound from far right, away. Probably. Yeah, the gun phone. <laughs> There's a word for it, I swear. <laughs> but they just have some people pointing at that at the room that they can hear. And what that means is that he even knows that there's kryptonite up there. Yeah. Like, that's not... And, like, that tension is immediately, like, removed. <laughs> well, it's, the tension of the kryptonite is not totally removed. Well, the, 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 the tension of the kryptonite surprise, mm-hmm. which is what they implied before. Mm-hmm. It was like, Superman's going to fly in, be kryptonited, and that was be a surprise, and then kill Superman. And, like, that's what you keep on expecting to happen. Right. Or it almost happened, or, or whatever. Or to, yeah. be, or to be resolved before you get there. And they do neither. Yeah. But right. Clark knows about the kryptonite. So he just walks into the kryptonite. <laughs> he, he does, because he's like, oh, I have a plan for us to get her out of there. Which is that he, like, calls, leaves a message on the phone, being like, hey, like, we have that date tonight. I'm going to, like, come by and see how you're doing. And, and because he's not yet ready to give up on the Superman plan, you know, this, what's his name? Evil Mick... Evil. Whitehurst. Whitehurst. Clement. Decides to kind of play it out um, because he thinks that, you know, he'll tell Lois, just like, don't tip him off or like, I'll kill both of you or whatever. And and he doesn't think that Clark knows that this is the situation. So Clark gets all the way up to the door, knocks on the door, opens the door, Lois opens the door, and Clark just like shoves her out of the way and like... You know, well, yeah, gets around to the he hall. He kisses her, and as he's kissing her, he picks her up, turns her around, and then he's the one inside, and he's like, Lois, run. And so she runs. And he's like knocked out and tied up or it's whatever. It's a bad plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a, a good plan. It's a terrible plan. And I especially don't agree with the point that Lois would start running at this point, like, because she knows she's leaving Clark in danger. Yeah. 
Because like, I mean, she's pretty worn down at this point, admittedly. Because mm-hmm. like, this wasn't even the original plan that Clark had agreed on with the police. No, I don't no. even yeah. think that plan was a very good plan. Because that plan was to open the door, grab Lois, drag right. her out into the hallway. That seems like a better plan. It's it's a better plan. It's not a good plan. No. No. But, but it's better than just, like, leave himself in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I really don't think that, honestly, like, why would the police allow this random civilian to, like, walk into this situation and do this? Yeah, like, for, from a police yeah. perspective, it's not any better to have a, put another civilian into danger. Or it right. should have been Clark, were like, Clark opening the door and a SWAT team on both sides of the door. Sure. Like, right. yeah. you pull Lois out, SWAT team moves in. That's it. And that's a good plan, because they don't have any information that Whitehurst is so into revenge that he is going to take it at the expense of his own life, or, like, whatever. They also, they're also tapping that room, they have surveillance, so they know there's nobody else in the room. And they've also cleared all all the surrounding areas. You're right. Yeah. So, in other words, it's it's not a good plan, plan. and it goes badly. So, should I Clark open the door, pull Lois out, smoke grenade, people with gas masks come in with, like, beanbag guns, and take them out. Yeah. yeah, and that's how the fanfic ends. <laughs> no, instead. Instead. Instead, now the situation is reversed. Lois is safe. Clark is held captive in that room. Who, with that guy who now knows that the police well, are watching. His right. first thing he's intending to do is tear down the curtains so that the snipers have a clear shot. So that's what he does. He rushes to the curtains <laughs> and he tears them down. But of course, Whitehurst is on him, and Whitehurst has the kryptonite in his pocket. So he's getting the kryptonite, he's getting the full force of it. And somehow it still manages to be that, like, they're in a fist fight and Clark gets hit in the head and Whitehurst still interprets, like, all of his uh, pain and, like, inaction as just being, you know... Concussion. Like a concussion or whatever happens. Well, just, that's... It's very convenient. That's what I like about the tension in this next scene when he's held captive, is that a lot of the tension is where Whitehurst is physically in relation mm-hmm. to him. Because, like, Whitehurst will walk, like, two yards away and, like, look out the window and, you know, Clark will be like, oh, like, I, I can... Oh, I can move a little bit. Like maybe I can try to get out of this. And then, like Whitehurst will turn around and like take a few steps towards him, and it's like, oh. And just being closer to the kryptonite is physically painful. Right. Here's and an... that's that's actually kind of, I, I'm not going to say fun. It's like kind of engaging, an engaging source of tension because Whitehurst doesn't have any clue that this has any, that he has it having any yeah, effect right. on Clark's health. And if Clark knows, at this point, I imagine Clark has had some encounter with kryptonite. Mm-hmm. If Clark knows this is how they responded to kryptonite. Then why is their plan to get in the same room? I know. And here's the funniest part to me, actually, is he is given a bulletproof vest, <laughs> which is good because when he's near Kryptonite, he actually is vulnerable to bullets. Right. But yeah. at one point he thinks, I wish this bulletproof vest was lead-lined because that would protect him from the Kryptonite, and it's not. And I'm just thinking my whole time, I'm like, why is your super suit not lead-lined? Like, why mm. Why or- did you not put on something with lead? You knew you were walking into a Kryptonite situation, <laughs> and all you did was put on the Kevlar that the police gave you. You could have prepared yourself. That's the thing. Is like there was too much time between Clark knowing the the kryptonite situation and Clark going in with Superman abilities and powers. He could have flown to a hospital, got a, like a lead lined vest, and put that on. Also, it would have been better because he right. flew from Smallville to Metropolis in a couple, like less than an hour. Which are right? in every state, like, apparently. <laughs> he could just do whatever he wants. Yeah, he, he could excuse himself to go to the bathroom, talking to the police, flown out got one of those hospital or dentist lead-lined vest. 
He totally could have done that. Yeah, because those are actually a thing. You like make me think of an even another point. I was like, where you get the lead? It's like, yeah, you, you just yeah. have those. Those exist. I, I'm now just picturing Superman having <laughs> what is basically, you know, the original Iron Man armor, like where it's just kind of mm. like blocky and right, yeah. and rounded, just like one of those made out of lead. Let's, it doesn't even have electronics. It's just like a suit of armor. Like, why not? And this is one of the issues with um, Superman as a character is like, there's too many solutions to to the problem. problems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because even the kryptonite, the kryptonite was supposed to be brought in as like something to be a threat to Superman because he was too powerful. Because, you know, as I mentioned before, the character kept getting new superpowers to the point that he was invincible. And they actually do a better job earlier in the fanfic of creating dramatic tension with Superman with the uh, fire, trying to rescue people from the fire. Yeah. So he can only, uh, they can only carry like a few people at a time without like destroying them all flying. And there's too many people and the fire progresses. And that was what caused... Like a couple of people to die for Superman to fail something mm-hmm. was an active timeline, and this it was not as active. Mm-hmm. Like if it was, if they were listening, and then the guy said like, you know, I'm going to shoot you now, and they're like, oh no, Clark, go, Clark, go. Like that would make more sense. <laughs> but there was too much time to prepare for this. <laughs> well. The way we got here is contrived, <laughs> but but I do like the tension about kryptonite proximity. Yes, mm-hmm. and the. What I don't like is that instead of freaking out, it feels like Whitehurst just shifts into next supervillain gear once he knows <laughs> that, like, and, like, if he was freaking out and dangerous and, like, not sure what to do, mm-hmm. like, that would have been more real and more dramatic. Mm-hmm. But instead he's like, ah, now that I have an audience, we will torture you in these various ways, yeah, Mr. Kent. He knows I'm, like, I'm not being sly anymore. I know this is a hostage, hostage situation, so I have to act appropriately. <laughs> I would not be that calm if I had a hostage, you know, situation. Yeah. If, if I was taking a hostage and, like, I knew the police were out there outside, I'm just saying. Yeah, Yeah. well, like, he kind of planned for this. But, by the way, Amato, I liked how you made a gear-shifting <laughs> motion with your hand when you said shifting supervillain gear. Mm-hmm. Just thought the listeners at home should know that that Cause, happened. Because I, I really appreciated it, too. <laughs> well, that's what I do when I shift supervillain gears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is an ingrained response now. <laughs> and then Clark comes out with a last-minute plan, which is not that... I mean... I... Well, meanwhile, they have a new... the Not a new game, but the the new former torturer mm-hmm. where the guy's like, okay, police people, you're listening. I'm going to slowly drown this person in ice water. Right. Great. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> and cause... so there's some terrifying scenes of Clark getting hit by ice water and like kind of feeling like they're drowning, but they are going to drown eventually. Yeah. I just feel like this would have been more tense if like this had been more from Clark's perspective. Like it is, but we don't get a lot of his like emotion around this. I mean, do y'all feel that's true? Like, I felt some terror. I guess, I yeah, think. he feels scared. Yeah. But I feel like, I guess what I'm trying to say is we get more in depth about how he worries about saving people early on. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it kind of petered off into this like kind of base survival instinct. But there could have been a lot more tension if like it had been illuminated that, you know, we know that Superman doesn't usually face these sorts of life or death situations with mm. himself. Mm-hmm. Like, if they'd gone a little more in-depth into how that felt for him, like, on an emotional level, not just, like, an instinctual, I-must-survive-terror level. Because, like, when I first saw the Kryptonite in the story, I kind of, like, rolled my eyes. Because, like, I wanted an interesting Superman story, and, like, Kryptonite isn't 
interesting. It's exactly. true. Yeah, like the green kryptonite, at least. Like some of the other kryptonites right. have like fun effects, <laughs> like interesting effects. Bring some out in parties or something. That but, beige kryptonite. Yeah, that's a real wild. <laughs> Need one. more of that. It's, de- it's deceptive because it's beige, but, but like, really, if you do it have makes cr- party Superman. If you do have kryptonite <laughs> in a Superman story, and you're talking from Superman's perspective, then it should be horrible and terrifying mm-hmm. yeah that would actually be interesting if the direction had been him as a savior of people and dealing with that emotionally in the first part mm-hmm. and him being totally at the mercy of other people saving him and like being in that state of fear and hope and anticipation yeah like in the second part but instead he's still together enough he's like well maybe i can make this guy lose control Look, just for a moment this and make the opening this isn't as interesting because this Superman, or this Clark, really is more human than the other superman it's mm. so, like this clark still gets bruised and like concerned and like distraught but this was like godlike superman and they got stripped of the powers and they do that thing they do in shows sometimes where like something so powerful where they don't get hurt and the first time they get hurt they freak out because they haven't felt pain in forever mm-hmm. like that would be something yeah but i guess in lois and clark's uh, clark's encountered kryptonite a number of times yeah <laughs> so I, I guess it's not super surprising it's just yeah i feel like there should have been yeah, more emotion in this. Because uh, otherwise it's just yeah. in, like, action, tension, suspense thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be, it's a best dramatic story award, right? It, it's a suspense story for sure. Well, That's what it is yeah, I don't point. see what the Superman angle adds to the story. Yeah. Mm, you're right. I agree with that. I also don't see exactly what's dramatic about it. Like, I feel like it's suspense. It's suspense. But drama involves more character. I mean, I think they were folding things under drama. Like, it's definitely what you would call a suspense story. Right. And he has a plan. He's like, oh, maybe I can make an opening for people by, like, riling up Whitehurst. But I did not really understand what the plan was. The plan was to make Whitehurst forget about the open windows. Okay. And I guess he does... At by taunting that, him and being like, you're a failure at revenge, yeah. too, you failure fail. At, at least that's what I've <laughs> inferred and guessed. That there's no, they don't say it. They just have this, have Clark say a bunch of things that gets this guy angry, and then a shot happens. Yeah. They don't Suddenly mention, a shot rang out. Yeah. They don't mention Whitehurst getting too close to the windows or Clark moving so Whitehurst has to move or any it, other action. Yeah, I felt like I felt like I missed something when I read it. Yeah. I think you're right that's all it was, but like it just yeah. wasn't totally conveyed it was like sort of like the author got bored with what was happening and was like all right now now let's resolve it in the way that it always could have been resolved which is mm. whitehurst getting taken out by the snipers right is that yeah. what happens yeah that's right yeah i guess so <laughs> i don't know it happened very rapidly i mean i read this but <laughs> i read it twice i reread it i i actually maybe even three times i just kind of was i don't know difficult to understand there's a moment of tension in the story with the shots shot ringing out about like, wait, did he, did Whitehurst fire? Did the sniper fire? Did they both fire? Who fired first? But they find, you know, they rush in EMTs and like they find Clark and he's still okay. And like they check him and he's like, oh, he's having difficulty breathing. He's having like all kinds of like spasms and such. And, you know, they take him out of there and then look. And once they start treating him out of the room, they're like, oh, good, he's making a good recovery. Cause like, and it's just uh, another kryptonite thing. I'm sorry to backtrack a little bit, but talk oh, sure. about that instance. It's um, the Clark's making the bad guy angry. Then Clark saw the gun pointed right at him, and he turned away. I'm sorry, Mom, Dad. I didn't mean for this to happen. Lois, I love you. He heard the shot and saw the flash. He, and even through his shut eyes, he felt an impact. He couldn't breathe. 
There was something warm and wet all around his face. Lois. His last coherent thought was that it hadn't hurt as much as he thought it would. And like that's kind of as much as they tell you about what happened. Yeah, I mean, and then next the warm is, uh, thing is, is white horse blood? I don't know. And then the next oh, part yeah, is a yeah. um, thing about Lois and Henderson thinking about this in an even more passive voice. Mm. Where they still don't even talk about what happened. They just talk about being surprised. Yeah. And then it, they burst in and everything's okay. It's strange in a story where spatial positioning was very important a little while ago. Mm-hmm. that now we don't really get it. Or, yeah. like, a, a sense of exactly what went down there. That's, like, part of what I was going to say, too, is, like, it's, like, we shift from being totally inside or totally, like, focused on this suspense and drama to all of a sudden being in Clark's feelings for other people, which I feel like we should have been in before. And the, so, yeah, the positioning element is all of a sudden taken away, and we shift back into Clark's head. And I feel like it would have been better to shift into Clark's head earlier and have this be a moment where things were explicitly explained. Mm. It's, you know, you know mm. what I mean? Anyway, Clark turns out to be okay. <laughs> they, they don't kill Clark, no. <laughs> no, and we don't need four more Clarks uh, coming back to take his role, which is what would happen if you killed him. I, I don't know what this reference is. Uh, this is Death of Superman reference. It was just the like biggest comic book event of the 90s. I'll take your word for it. And Superboy. Was, was, that, was that written by Michael Bendis? Uh, 90s, not 2000s. Other than, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that that's when I started to check into comic books. You, you don't remember when Superman died? Which time? Because <laughs> <laughs> I read that other one where Superman died, and then this guy was so powerful, he traveled back in time, killing Superman over and over again. Mm. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, anyway, the point is, we've got some falling action uh, Le- Lois is kind of, you know, hecka traumatized, at least in the short term, and, like, needs physical comfort and stuff. Clark spends some, like, a long time getting better. Yes, though he does get better a lot quicker than paramedics might expect him to. Long time for Superman. Right. Mm. <laughs> and they sort of reaffirm that each other are very important to each other, mm-hmm. which is a very Lois and Clark, uh, you know, beat, I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything else at the end there? Yeah, I feel like there should be some more because... Uh, Lois goes over to Clark's apartment for the night. Yeah. yeah. And they sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, th- I think that's it. The last line is, He lay like that for a long time, listening to her breathing as it got deeper and longer, feeling her body relax heavily against his, knowing that they were together and that she was safe. The end. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah. I feel like the author was going for something with that, and it was... A note on their relationship and deepening Clark's role in Lois's life. Right. She However, does have that moment earlier on where she's like, yeah, he's not as dramatic as Superman or whatever, but like Clark is becoming, has become more and more of like a valued partner in my life. Yeah. And that's what I appreciate about the fanfic is that n- at no point did Clark have to be Superman <laughs> in order for the story to happen. He just, I mean, he was Superman. He's always Superman, but Everybody saw him as Clark, and there were always reasonable excuses for, like, because the kryptonite existed. Instead of being, like, the Chekhov's gun, it was actually just, like, a catalyst for Clark to appear as a normal man who saved the day. Mm -hmm. And so I guess the point was that Lois respected him more because he was a hero, which I think actually says more about Lois than anything, but whatever. And also we're supposed to respect um, Clark's attempt at heroism even more because they didn't have their superpowers. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, but it's not unexpected that Superman would do this sort of thing. That is Superman. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, yeah, like almost like the author did try to treat it as Clark as a separate character almost and like build up his reputation as the Clark character. Yeah, I kind of feel like there's good bones in this. Mm-hmm. Like we could have got it and remodel it into something good. Oh, I agree. I mean, if we gave Lois more action, like instead of just just burying her initial plot action in like a couple paragraphs of narration. The story starts with the Whitehurst report. Right. We don't need to go through the blow by blow of the investigation because that's not the interesting part. Just the result of it and Lois being competent. Yeah. And it's it's bad enough that they make her, you know, such a victim through this, like as she often is in Superman stories, but like so much so. And then she doesn't even get, like, an active role towards the end. She just gets to be rescued. I was expecting her to somehow result in Clark being rescued for the symmetry. Yeah. Like, I was expecting him to come in and save her and then her to figure out something to save him. Because, yeah, I wanted her to matter. And and the thing is, is, like, all of the stuff that she did that mattered happened in the exposition. Right, exactly. You know, the reason that Whitehurst was mad at her was obviously because she did some amazing journalism. But it was a badass like, reporter, right. Yeah, because it was all, like, but the in this story, it's all Clark thinking, Lois did this badass journalism. And then in the action of the story, Lois is just held prisoner. Okay, so quick rewrite. Yeah. Uh, they're at the scene... Um, Clark pulls Lois out in the hall, closes the door, mm-hmm. rushes for the drapes like any hero would. <laughs> uh, the bad guy catches Clark. They start fist fighting. And in the middle of the fight, before Clark gets shot, uh, the bad guy gets shot by Lois, who's come inside and taken their gun from a closet or something and shot him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that would be great. That works fine. Right. Because here's the the thing is I feel like they were trying to make excuses for Lois not being an actor by saying she was very weak and dehydrated from being held hostage all day, yeah. which is legitimate, but they make such a big point of it. Mm-hmm. But yet she's still able to run down the hall and run away. If you can run away, you can run towards. They actually right? mentioned at some point that it was crawling at some point. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That is a good point. But yeah, they well, it, it was it doesn't, like making it, excuses. You don't yeah, have to do yeah. that. Right. You can you can back up that a little bit in order to give her her moment. Also, it didn't mm-hmm. have to be that that accurate of a thing mm-hmm. in the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to make another proposal. Mm-hmm. Clark hanging out with his parents. Mm-hmm. Different story. Yes. I don't know what yes. the actual plot arc would be in that story. But clearly the author has enough to say about it, and, like, it's cute enough, it's adorable, it's all heartwarming, that you could do some kind of, like, heartwarming story. Well, you spin off the uh, Clark Parent story into the Face on the Train story. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because this was all about, like, the whole thing with the fire happening and Superman not being able to save people and his parents act coming to him to comfort him. It's actually, like, a side of Superman we don't get to see that often like at least if we do it's kind of in these superficial moments so i actually feel like that was the more interesting part of the story i would like to see more of that Mm. Mm. well we've sort of naturally instead of formally uh (laughs) talked about our complaints and it seems like we're now moving into praise um which is that dom you were saying good bones there's good bones there's it's a well-written story uh the the language is very well structured it flows it doesn't feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. It was the specifics that, that got me. Yeah. And I would add to that that it's trying to be a suspense story. And when that was working, it worked well for me. Yeah. Both in the just like very uncomfortable, bad feeling parts of Lois being held captive, which, you know, was supposed to be uncomfortable and bad feeling. And in the kryptonite suspense, which I thought was a good idea 
and was also like interesting to read about at least for a little while. It's just that with suspense, it's very particular on how things work yes. with each other. And if that it messes is. up, then that causes, well, d- distractions, honestly. <laughs> right. I want to give praise to the, the what I see as the two halves of the story mm-hmm. separately. And I think I already addressed that I really liked the emotional part of Clark in the first one, and also his parents being such important and yet distinct figures, like his dad, and address a lot, his dad coming to talk to him, like, kind of like, yes, son, you've grown into a fine man. I don't remember specifically, <laughs> but his mother being more of a nurturing type, his father being a little more distant, but both being very loving parents mm-hmm. was really cool. And having him, his d- emotional distress be so well explained, great first story. And there, then I did like the scene where the mom and the dad both talked to men at some point. Yeah. That was very yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I, I really like the portrayal. I wish I could be more specific, but anyway, I really like the portrayal in the first part of their their relationship with their son. It was very sweet, and I mean, especially because you know they're like these small town Kansas farm folk who adopted an alien baby, and yet they're able to empathize enough with him to understand the burdens placed on him and try to help in whatever way they can. I think Martha and Jonathan are great characters for that. Mm-hmm. Is it Martha? Yeah, that's her name. <laughs> right. I'm doing a band for Superman. What? What? Where they bond over both their moms being named Martha. Oh. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was I was too distracted by my own. I, uh, I watched that rambling. movie coming back from Japan, and I was angry at the time I'd wasted. <laughs> I haven't watched it, so I've got one up on you. Uh, it's terrible. It's awful. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> it's okay. Well, anyway, to... yeah. So the the then my praise for the second part of the story is really really good suspense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about it. Yeah. Well, to balance out all of those fine, upstanding Midwestern values and, you know, fatherly and motherly roles. <laughs> we are going queerer next week. Oh. Yes, okay. with a... Uh, and in fact, I've chosen this one to celebrate National Coming Out Day. We're reading a Sailor Moon fanfic, Distant, and an associated zine that the Multnomah County Library has a copy of and therefore I had very accessible <laughs> and was able to just check out called Queer Sailor Moon Fanfiction Saved My Life, which is a very clickbait title for a zine, I've got to say. Yeah. You won't believe how queer Sailor Moon fanfiction... <laughs> Number nine will surprise you, yeah. <laughs> so this is a doubleheader, kind of. Uh, in that we're reading two things, yes. Neither <laughs> of them... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Only one of them is fanfiction, and the other one is a fan zine mm. that is not fiction. It is fan nonfiction. It's fan fact. Fan fact. <laughs> <laughs> So we're branching out a little bit. Fan fiction, fan fact. <laughs> but I'll restrain from changing the title of the podcast yet. We'll see how it goes. Uh, you can find a link to the story itself at bit.ly slash rfrdistant. That's for next week, episode 56. As for this, this was episode 55 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Love Beyond All Measure. You just can't measure it. Was Not that the in. title? That's yeah, the, the title. It kind of doesn't describe the story at all. No. Now that you mention it. Again, it's brainstorm a better title. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mr. Whitehall's Day Out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to be honest, though, I do feel like the author wanted to have a Lewis and Clark love story. I just don't think they fully got there. Hmm. 
Well, that is officially the title of it. If you have a better one, let us know. Love in spite of torture. Um, <laughs> love in spite of all love, torture. Some love, but mostly torture. <laughs> <laughs> love in the time of cholera and, and to- torture. <laughs> well, you can find <laughs> you can find the copy of it there at the Lois and Clark Fanfic Archive, the extremely well organized and uh, databased. Lois and Clark fanfic archive database database living in the database <laughs> <laughs> and our link to that one is bit.ly slash rfr love we didn't what? have anything else called love yes we this? did we totally this, this, did this came up last week because wasn't that link also love and the one I love is that, that one was toily I believe oh yeah we totally brought this up last week That's yeah why we did I thought that <laughs> All right, excuse me. We can't get so recursive yet. Okay. The intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. You can search there under, you know, tags for different topics we've done. You can see all the other Lois and Clark fanfics we've done, which is zero. <laughs> you can see the other um, American television-based series fanfics we've done. Which is non-zero. Which should be a few more. Like yeah. Four. Buffy, yeah. X-Files, Angel. Five. Mm. Six. Six. Yeah. 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 Or you could go uh, do the other superhero ones we've done, like the Spider-Man episode. I think that's it. Do I have to make a superhero tag? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's up to you, I guess. I At think, this point, it's not yeah, worth it. I don't it. know. I don't know how the internet works. I have a Japanese animation tag. Hmm. 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 No. <laughs> well, if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, please contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, and email at RetroFanficRetrospective at gmail.com, Facebook at RetroFanfic. I'm doing a different order today to mix it up. Mm. We've got Reddit at Fanfic Retrospective. And you can leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use, and that would be very helpful to let people find us. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We're just three life forms raised on Earth <laughs> trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. So they have Superman, Supergirl, mm-hmm. Superdog. Yes. Where's a super non-binary person? I thought that was the Superdog. <laughs> Could be the monkey. Could be. Could be. I just keep on thinking of re- re- um, reflexive because I'm still learning some Spanish and mm. French this also. So just say. <laughs> reflexive, recursive. I had to learn recursive in second grade, but then we never used it. Um, learn the word recursive? No, the font. But he's talking about cursive. I was, I was joking. Oh. <laughs>
I can't believe you didn't get that, Dom. I didn't even get that. That's such an obvious joke. No. Too far away from yeah, anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I did get it. Learn recursive? No, we don't learn cursive until so fourth. Cursive and then do cursive again? <laughs> well, that's that how is what you, we did. Yeah. yeah, that's how you learn. <clears throat> so stupid. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> and then there's this whole conversation so stupid. <laughs> You're stupid. That's fair. That that, that checks out. 